This show is brought to you by Buzzsprout.com, the best and excitingly prettiest way to start a podcast. Chapter 13 Sleep Doctor Part 2 Mortimer's Truth Doctor, Doctor, Lance with glee, smile to see and murder me. Drink my sins, my gins, devour that which wins, the heat, the rush, the beating that we must compel to sell ourselves. No, not sick, not well, just hot. Cause hell. One. In her throbbing brain, there was a cacophonously loud gaggle of bad dreams. Ritual circles of hatred atop rain-swept rooftops. In the middle of each circle seemed to be a version of her. None of her could move. None of her could even breathe. All she could do was stare, eyelids forced open at those who forced her down. Above her, smiles tore through every face, making them bleed and trickle, blinding her. She tried to scream. Then, a mist-filled corridor. Suddenly, she could run, and so she took the opportunity because it hadn't been there before, but it was there now, and her blindness was beginning to subside. The forever faded images of the smiling faces now seared onto her retinas in its place. Run, 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 and don't look back. If you look back, you will die. That was when Jamie Mortimer also realized that if she suddenly had the ability to run, after being suspended, motionless for what felt like forever, she might also, maybe, just maybe, have the ability to breathe. She tried although her own footfalls were all she felt and heard. The pain of bare feet on unforgiving, solid metal ground. That would have given her enough pause to slow her pace and avoid the jagged debris on the floor of the corridor if she hadn't been ultimately distracted by the sound of the rain ahead. The only light source in the corridor seemed to be sourced from cracks in the surrounding walls, through which moonlight peeked and flickered behind deadened, windswept clouds. Her sight now returned to her, she could see the way out. A gaping hole in the wall of the mystifying labyrinth, created, Jamie guessed, by time and intention. Clearly she hadn't been the first to break out. Beyond the gape lay expansive shapes of rain. A couple of flashes of lightning revealed a sharp right-hand turn that Jamie knew would just circle her back to the smiling motionless hell pit below or above her? Perhaps a turret of hell that she couldn't technically remember breaking free of, of her own accord. Maybe the temporary blindness had been some kind of mercy. Jamie gripped her head to focus it, staring out into the rain, never daring once to look behind her. She stuck her hand out, feeling the freezing sleet on her skin. It sent joyful shivers up and down her body, allowing her finally to breathe. And then, there was only pain as a clawed hand came out of the center of her chest, plunging right through her. In front of her eyes, 
Jamie could see her heart protruding a few inches further out than it should, partially obscured by the glistening, clawed hand. The hand itself was pulsating in an offbeat manner. Jamie wasn't sure if the syncopated rhythm was coming from the monstrous hand or what it was now holding. For some reason, Jamie expected another bout of pain, intense and all-encompassing. She had expected this grotesque hand and arm wanted her heart, would grip her heart and pull it out through her back, perhaps feast on it for the power it possessed as she fell heartlessly into the endless abyss below her. But that did not happen. Instead, the protruding hand just dropped it. Jamie watched her heart fall into the darkness. A long moment seemed to pass, and the thing, whatever it was, wasn't like she could turn her back now. Its scaly, blood-caked arm seemed to remain motionless, until Jamie went limp, hanging off of it like a piece of tender, melting meat on a barbecue-blackened stick. Jamie melted to the point where the laws and claws of gravity could finally defy and grip her, and she slipped into the place beyond. The fall through the rain seemed to end in a final blinding flash of lightning. Then Jamie Mortimer realized it was the morning sunlight streaming through a weathered curtain, stabbing through her eyelids into her corneas, kick-starting one of the worst hangover headaches she had ever had. She groaned attempting to turn her head. Pain shot from her right shoulder all the way to the back of her neck where it met her brain. Jimmy groaned louder, gripping her head just as she had in the dream. She could almost remember checking into a motel with somebody on her arm, a girl she definitely remembered she hadn't met before last night, some bar out on Route 9, in a small town in Hampshire, Massachusetts, called Ware, a population of 10,666 as of 2020. Jamie Mortimer, however, wasn't exactly a fan of that year, and so, after her visit to the original Hennessy homestead in Mercer 1889, CVC Season 2, Episode 3, Outlaw Country Part 1, which in itself was rather draining given the nature of that meeting, she had decided to continue the procrastination of returning to the almost present day. Her almost present day. Something she had promised herself she would do, eventually. That she had to do when she felt strong enough. She needed to see the aftermath of what she'd done through her own eyes. Not just be watching on House's monitors in the communications bay, or sitting in a meditation chamber listening to the sirens, or by stalking Shaira's broken mother, whose heart was somehow still beating despite her daughter's being God knows where, but she couldn't face it quite yet. And so, she had requested House to bring her forward as far as the tail end of the 1970s, still long before her birth, so as not to cause any further anachronisms. She just needed some time to reconnect. And rather than return to Scotland, the source of the issue, she had decided to stay across the pond. Jamie also knew, however, on many levels, and in many ways, that that which she most needed, to be free of this guilt, would be found where she least wanted to look, where she least wanted to be. But she couldn't quite admit that to herself, at least out loud. She had never made it to the US in life, and when I brought her there in death, she had decided that this nation represented her redemption. Though red and dead, it was still fucking redemption. And so here she would stay until she was ready to return to the fray. Because at the moment, 
She couldn't even bring herself to properly open her eyes and stare at who lay beside her. Even through her heavy lids, Jamie could see that the girl was beautiful. Loudly beautiful. At least from this angle. The frequency of attraction made Jamie's head hurt more, but that was mostly because some more fragments of memory were forming. Realizing she was naked, her pale posterior and chest exposed, Jamie sat up in bed, covering herself with an ash-stained sheet. Her head ached harder. Her nose was blocked from a few too many lines in the depraved-looking bathroom inside that depraved-looking bar Jamie had found herself in, drinking away her sorrows before this girl had decided to join her. Where had Jamie got the cocaine? From her thoughts? Most likely. One of the perks of being an untapped, resurrected witch, snatched out of Summerland, sometimes things just appeared in her hand when she needed them to, but sometimes they didn't. And most of the time, the things that appeared in her hand tended to be harmful to herself and to others, more often than not. Always useful, yet harmful. One of the downsides of being more dead than alive. Jamie looked at the sleeping girl to her left. She had her back to her, and Jamie's act of pulling the sheet to cover herself had ended up exposing. Damn, what was her name? Shaira muttered Jamie's brain under its phantom breath. Shut up. Shut up. Jamie retorted, gazing at the girl's bare back, a great deal of her messed up blonde hair reaching as far down as the middle of her spine. Haley? No. Laney? Maybe. Jeannie! Someone hissed, buried alive in the recesses of her throbbing subconscious. I think she said her name was Jeannie. Jamie and Jeannie. How about that? Sounded good. And from what she remembered from the previous night's encounter, Jamie and Jeannie had been good. Good, but not great. Not for Jamie, anyway. The witch had rocked the Jeannie's world. Something, Something hefty, hefty, as they would say back in certain parts of Scotland. As a result, the motel room appeared wrecked. Wrecked from passion. But for Jamie, it was an empty kind of passion. Just a mere distraction. She thought about waking Jeannie up, then decided it would be easier to collect herself privately. Jamie continued staring at Jeannie. She stared harder, her eyes widening in sudden alarm. Jeannie was still. Too still. Jamie put two fingers to the girl's elegant neck. No. Please. No. How long has she been? Her inner voice trailed off. She would have noticed earlier if it hadn't been for the headache and the sad fact that Jamie's own breathing was for mere appearances. She even had to do an inward incantation to make her dead heartbeat. If people who weren't aware or accepting of her condition came too close or touched her, that was another thing that had no doubt made last night's passion more disposable. Yeah, yeah, so disposable that you murdered your one-night stand. Christ, what the fuck are you doing focusing on the sex? Jeannie's dead. Dead. Oh God. She's dead and I killed her. Probably. Am I contagious or something? No. No, I can't be. Then what the fuck did I do? What the fuck happened? Slowly, Jamie swung her legs over the side of the bed, finally noticing that the mattress was on the floor. She used a radiator to help her rise up to a standing position, naked as the burning sun. Finding the bathroom, she vomited 
then turned on the shower, downing a cocktail of Vicodin and Tic Tacs she had found in one of her front pockets of her jeans, crumpled in the corner of the bathroom, along with most of her possessions. Minutes later, Jamie felt grateful for the shower, but far more grateful for the Vicodin. It temporarily calmed her head and helped her to recollect more at her own pace, allowing her mind to momentarily calm itself through internal consolations, possible alternative explanations for Jeannie's sudden demise, an undiagnosed medical condition perhaps taking its toll, maybe a random heart attack or brain aneurysm. These dark yet no less comforting thoughts served their purpose for a couple of minutes. Though, annoyingly, internal incantations were still necessary for proper metabolic processing of most human medications, such as Vicodin, and those subconscious utterances caused her to lose her focus, slipping back into the dark. She let the water from the showerhead rush over her. The heat turned up to full. Jamie still felt cold. Then she realized something even more horrible than the fact that Jeannie was dead. Most likely because of her, it was the fact that Jamie couldn't remember her face. The bar, the bathroom, and the motel had been a dimly lit blur. And during the sex, the lights had been off. Her inner voice piped up again, humbly and quietly. Not mocking, not teasing, just stating the facts that she knew she would never state to anybody else. And you know that you didn't even attempt to roll Jeannie over or walk around to her side of the mattress so that you could see her face even before you knew she was dead. Which also means that when you leave the shower, dress yourself, or not, and walk back into that room, the first and most clear memory you will have of her face will be dead, grey, and lifeless. Just like you. Jamie Mortimer began to cry. She put a finger to the corner of her eye and then rubbed it slightly, then moved it in front of her field of vision. The finger came away black. Was it last night's eyeliner? She couldn't remember applying any, or was that just what her tears looked like now? Jamie guessed it was the latter. She thought again of Jeannie's still, lifeless body. An idea occurred to her, but Jamie dismissed it before she was able to think it all the way through. Entertaining the possibility and validity of a resolution like that would come at too high a price. It always did. Jamie decided it was time to look at herself in the mirror. Through the condensation, Jamie could see something. The tears in her eyes blurred her vision, and she wiped them away angrily with pruned, flaking fingers. She placed her forearm at the top of the mirrored cabinet and dragged it downwards, removing about half of the mist. Then she screamed. Rationally, she considered the fact that regarding the unexpected, the unknown, even focusing on it, came hand in hand with who and what she was, through nature and experience combined. That, and dealing with the unexpected, or expected, depending on what order events occurred within, was, above all else, pretty much her job now. It seemed that, along with her time being held prisoner in the Undermines, her resurrection had granted her power beyond a young witch's wildest dreams. But even her original death, had come at such a high price to so many other people that she would still rather have never been born in the first place. Jamie likened that preferred feeling with what she now saw in that mirror. She was still screaming, but it was now coming out in mere rasps. Her throat was dry and sounded like a dog's mangled chew toy. What she saw was the back of her head. The back of herself in general. 
as if her reflection had literally turned on her and would not face her again. As you do when you see your reflection, Jamie moved with it, continuing to scream. Gingerly, she stepped to her right. Her reflection went left. She stepped to her left. The reflection went right. Jamie's actual right and not the reflection's opposite left. Jamie tried stepping further towards the mirror and sure enough, her reflection stepped away like she was mocking herself at every turn. Every turn. Every turn. Another horrible revelation revealed itself to her out of the darkness in the form of a pertinent question. One she seemed to ask her inner self involuntarily, and that her body responded to despite the avid protest from her still-beating heart and brain. What would it be like to have a reflection that only reveals its face when your back is turned? What expressions might that face be wearing? What intentions did those expressions indicate? A reflection that had the ability to be at its furthest point from you the closer you were to the actual mirror. A reflection that could only be right up against the mirror's opposite side when you yourself were at the furthest away viewpoint from the mirror or the reflective surface itself. Everything was opposite, but it also wasn't. It was like she was peering through some warped, inverted, and of course mirrored looking glass. Jamie's tears began to flow again, and hearing what she heard next made her collapse. The real her was distraught, bawling and crawling with horror and confusion, and yet, on the other side of something almost resembling or possibly emulating life, she could hear her reflection laughing. It sounded like a hyena being tickled by a malfunctioning fan belt. She would realize later that the indescribable horror of imagining the various maniacal expressions that her reflection's face could be making, involuntarily or perhaps deliberately, as she lived through one of the worst moments of her lives, trying to cry it out of her, only making the laughter's intensity increase in earnest, those images were what had caused her legs to give way. A barely human pile of welded skin and bones on the bathroom floor, curled up in a quivering ball of dread waiting to somehow reluctantly be born out of this world. The tiled floor felt cold against her colder face. This is not my favorite day, Jamie heard herself say, and began giggling in a heap on the floor. The crying noise emanating from the mirrored surface above her almost split her sides in half. Suddenly, the idea that had previously occurred to Jamie whilst in the shower occurred to her again and this time it did not seem as crazy as it had earlier. Even though Jeannie had been just as dead then as she would be once Jamie finally exited this tiled pocket of hell, the hope that she was still dreaming was sparking somewhere inside her, but it was being doused by her two simultaneous extremes of emotional states. No, this was real. This was happening, and it was absolutely hilarious. Her reflection was fucking backwards. Jamie laughed harder. How was that even fucking possible? Jamie briefly entertained the thought of giving someone a psychic shout for help, advice, aid. But that would entail having to explain how Jeannie ended up dead. All she had wanted was a few days worth of binging to the point of psychological numbness and perhaps a one night stand or two, maybe a weekend away somewhere quiet, somewhere human to try and feel something again for the first time again. 
feel something that wasn't the result of some mystical or supernatural effect or side effect. They worked, sure, if you played your cards right. But Jamie surmised that to the dead, certain magics sometimes felt synthetic, despite doing the job you asked them to do. Like when Jamie had to make her heart beat to blend in with beings she may come into close contact with. People who listen out for the kind of silence that fills the surrounding air when a heart stops beating. But all the magics did was make it look alive, make it feel temporarily warm through her chest. When I taught her the spell for the first time, Jamie had been convinced that her heart had literally been on fire, accusing me of attempting to murder her again and not doing a very good job of it, going so far as to punch a hole through one of my more introverted houseguests' walls, aiming for my face, of course, all due to the pain. I explained that the spell's effects begins with heat, sourced from the heart. It sent fire through her extremities like lava cascading down a collapsing volcano. It was like someone tearing off your head and emptying a boiling kettle down your neck. The intense feeling died down after a while, and the initial burn was something that she had become used to. But all it did was hurt. This line of thought seemed to carry Jamie to a calmer place. She wasn't sure why. She uncurled herself, switching to a cross-legged position. Her eye was caught by her pile of clothes. Jamie took a deep breath and stood up not daring to look in the mirror. Instead, she opened the bathroom door. Jeannie was still very dead, and had definitely gone paler than she had been upon Jamie waking from her dream. Then again, Jamie wasn't even sure how long she had gone to ground for. Fuck, she was lucky they hadn't ordered pizza or something. That was when Jamie decided that focusing on more immediate issues like what are you going to do about this poor, random dead girl in this dark, seedy motel room that you may have murdered but you don't technically remember, so you can't even construct a good lie that would fool anyone who didn't even have an intermediate or even advanced level of psychic awareness and or training? Those questions, those were the ones that dressed her. Something which she did outside the bathroom, her eyes fixed on Jeannie as she pulled on her dirty clothes still infused, it seemed, with mercer dust and aroma. An aroma that hadn't exactly been improved by the previous night's endeavors. Finding her underwear had also been a task and a half. Other than her jacket, her clothes smelled acridly of sweat, which in itself puzzled her, because she couldn't remember the last time that she had been capable of something as simple as passive sweating. Breathing in her experience in Mercer and the events of the previous night told her that it was time for a change. And then she looked back over at Jeannie, and immediately hated herself even more for concerning her mind with something so contextually trivial. Fuck, I'm never gonna get this stuff out, am I? She muttered to herself, dusting down her corset and jeans. She scolded herself for saying that too, before putting on her three-quarter length leather coat, which itself was vented at the back, splitting the jacket's tail down the middle. Both halves of the tail were tapered to a point, allowing Jamie to spread her beautiful and only partially metaphorical astral bat wings whenever there was a strong enough gust of the right kind of wind. One of the many ways to fly. It was something that she had picked out of one of House's wardrobes. I told Jamie that House herself had been the one to design and build the jacket. I lied. I wanted to oversee the construction myself. Don't you go letting on, listeners. She let the leather warm her comfortably like a heated security blanket. The coat itself was sentient, like mine, sentient enough to accommodate the needs of the wearer. I thought that if she was going to be dead all the time and therefore cold most of the time, the least I could do was keep her warm from the outside. 
without the need for dreaded physical contact, though that was painfully necessary and no less annoying. The code modulated the temperature in such a way that she could regulate her chills in most surroundings, as long as she was wearing it, which also had a positive effect on her mood. It gave her enough energy to create a low-level illusion, in the form of some glimmer magic. It was better if the room looked in use and inhabited from the outside, and ultimately empty on the inside to dispel concern. She could just simply or mystically lock the door, but that may arouse suspicion in the immediate area. Jamie, telekinetically, relocated Jeannie from the bed to the shower, finally getting a proper look at her face. Getting distracted for a further few minutes, then refocusing and turning on the shower, the heat all the way down. Closing the thankfully watertight shower door, Jamie then used her thoughts to encourage the water pressure to increase to garden hose-like proportions. Turning the shower into a standing bath, in less than two minutes, Jeannie floated there, as if she was suspended in limbo. Then Jamie suspended her further still. She froze her. All of these actions seemed to be instinctive. She did not question them. She did not question herself. She just simply converted a motel bathroom into a metaphysical cryogenics lab. That, to the naked, untrained eye, would just look like a normal, previously inhabited room. One that was soon to be re-inhabited by two normal girls with a view to extending their stay due to this new, unexpected, passionate bond they had formed. Jamie grunted as she put the last few finishing touches on her illusion. A mixture of natural and mystical techniques. Firstly, she used her strength to carve a couple of small holes in the faucet structure, so that whenever it was running, the water would come out of not one, but three holes. If you made sure that the water pressure was correct, which she did, and make sure that the sink was fully unblocked to avoid flooding, which she also did, then you had yourself a realistic-sounding shower stereo. So that, as a first line of defense and defiance, if someone was to enter the room, and they had any sense of decency, would immediately leave to give the girls privacy. Hearing the shower running from behind the closed door, if said person wanted to keep their genitals, of course, and if, by any chance, they happened to be a perverted asshole, then Jamie had the mystical backups in place. Finally, she used a spell to literally mystify the inside of the shower, ultimately thanking the deities for the fact that the bathroom in this motel didn't actually have a window. She turned the mist up as high as she was capable of so as to take extra care hiding her crime. After this, she dropped to her knees in near exhaustion, staring up at the frozen chaos she had once again been responsible for. A final blackened tear fell from her left eye. Then she stood up, keeping her eyes away from the mirror in whatever way she could, focusing once again on the makeshift cryolab and the deceased, naked human female within. Jamie pointed at Jeannie. Don't go anywhere, sweetie. I'll be back. Then she turned around and headed for the outside. I guess it's time for a graveyard shift. End of part two. If you're a podcast clown like I am, you must have dreamed about starting your own. Let me tell you, my dreadful darlings, it's never easy, but it's one of the best decisions I ever made. It was either that or waste away in my own subjective ascendance. Of course, it can be more than just a little overwhelming to know how to get started. Buzzsprout can help you launch your podcast professionally and in style, linking you with all of the major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and much, much more. 
Join us up in the buzzing, sprouting podcast cloud to breathe in the renowned analytical sound of the accurate analysis and promotion tools provided. Follow the link in the show notes below to start your journey and receive a $20 Amazon gift card. We're waiting for you. Buzzsprout, the best and excitingly prettiest way to start a podcast.